several weeks ago, we started this, this series called In This Manner, and it's about prayer, and it was specifically about the section of, of Scripture we uh, encounter in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5, which contains what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, very familiar prayer. And um, the reason that we have used this title is because what happened was the disciples observed Jesus praying. Anybody else need a Bible, by the, by the way? Raise your hand. Okay, I guess we're good. Um, the disciples were observing Jesus pray. He had gone off apart from them and was praying to the Father. And they were observing that when he finished they said to him, Jesus, please teach us how to pray like that. Show us how to have that kind of intimate connection with the Heavenly Father. Because we've watched these, these scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. We've been going to the synagogue our whole lives. We've been to the temple. And we've never seen anything like that. And we long for that kind of connection to the God in heaven. Teach us to pray. And so that's what the Lord did. And in Matthew chapter 6, we've talked about how prayer is three things. An invitation. An invitation to leave behind the starchy, uh, structured, scripted, religious, formal thinking about prayer that dominates so much of our, of our experience. And then we talked about how Jesus began his template of prayer, his... Um, his uh, outline for praying by, by just a few simple words, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And in those statements, he was helping us understand that prayer is an inversion where things that are backwards, upside down, twisted up and inside out can be straightened out in terms of how we think and relate to God, how we think about and relate to God. And then we talked about how Getting those, all of that in place, where I understand that prayer is first and foremost an intimate relationship with God, an invitation to intimacy with Him. He said, come into the secret place. And then that in praying, I can understand, have a clear understanding of who God is. Then he says, uh, in effect, now let's take it to the next level where we plant the flag of the kingdom of God in the various venues of our life, where he said, thy kingdom come. That's where we left off last week. And actually, to be honest with you, that's where I thought we were going to end things. But I haven't been able over the past week to escape the fact that there really was more to what Jesus said on that occasion to his disciples about prayer. And we find it in Luke, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 11, where Luke is recording the same event for us, but giving us uh, some additional information that Matthew's account doesn't contain. And so we're going to read beginning at verse 5 and go through verse 13. But I want you to notice that comes right on the heels, right after Jesus uh, giving them the template of prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, etc. Right after that, he says these things. Verse 5. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. Notice I'm emphasizing the word friend. I'll tell you why in a minute. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. 
And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he's his friend, because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, your heavenly father, Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now this passage, verses 5 through 13 of Luke chapter 11, I believe in it Jesus was showing his disciples that prayer is also not only an invitation, not only an inversion, not only an invasion, but it's also an invocation. What is an invocation? How many of you have used that word recently? An invocation is a request for help or aid. If you went to the Fairfield uh, City Council meeting, um, which I, I've only been to one, and that was because I was asked to give the invocation, at every council meeting they have a local minister before the proceedings stand up and offer a prayer. And it's, it's I would, not that the, the pastors involved would mean it for, for, to be this way, but I think for most of the people attending there, it's kind of a formality. You know, let's get the invocation over with and let's get down to business. But what it was designed to do by whoever started that way back when in our city, which I'm grateful for, meant for there to be, at the beginning of the business that was conducted on behalf of this city, someone stand up and say, God, help us. That's what an invocation is, a request for help or aid. How much of our praying is about that? Lord, help me. <laughs> or Lord, help my cousin Joe. Or, you know, what, Lord, help us. A lot of our praying, wouldn't you say, is about that. And Jesus wanted us to know before he left this subject of prayer with his disciples, he wanted us to understand how to approach God, how to think about how we approach God when we are asking for help or aid. It's an invocation. Now this passage that we just read, to me, is one of the most misunderstood and uh, misapplied passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. The reason is because people imagine that in verses 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is giving us a parable. A parable is a story that Jesus would tell about something everybody could relate to so that it would highlight or illustrate a truth that he was trying to teach them. So it would, it would help people understand truth, okay? This is not a parable. Jesus isn't saying this is, how, this is what God is like. He's like a, a guy that you come to in the middle of the night desperate because you have a friend who's come to visit and you don't have any food to offer him. So you go to another friend and ask him for help. And that friend says, oh, no, I can't be bothered. It's the middle of the night. I'm in bed. Leave me alone. He's not saying God is like that. But some people, in fact, a lot of people 
have, if you've ever read this passage or you've ever, ever uh, had someone uh, or experienced someone preaching from this passage, undoubtedly you've heard them talk about the fact that this is illustrating the importance of perseverance in prayer. In fact, there's a theological word for it. It's importunity. How many of you ever used that word in a sentence? It means, you know, you pester God till he comes through for you. Just keep banging on the door to heaven and, and hope that eventually you, you, know, you get an answer from God. And yes, it's important to be engaged in prayer that isn't just, you know, flippant uh, or, or casual. We need to be people who are invested in prayer and willing to go the distance in prayer. But we, it's not because we have a God who is like this bozo. In fact, this is not a parable. It's a question, a very long question. It takes three verses to state it. But look at the end of verse 7. What's that? A question mark. Jesus is not giving them a parable. He's asking a question. The question is, how many of you have a friend who would act like that? The implied answer is none of us. Now, we're not talking about a stranger we're not talking about an enemy. We're not talking about an acquaintance. We're talking about a friend. Who, which of you has a friend who would act like that? The answer to the question is, none of us. Nobody would be like that. Jesus is making the point, if you've got it twisted up in your head that God is like this, think again. God is not like that idiot in the story. So it's exactly the opposite of what we often understand this passage to mean. We don't have a God in heaven who is unapproachable. And you have to sort of pester him to get his attention. In fact, he goes on to say, I say to you, even if God was like this idiot, even the idiot comes through in the end because you pestered him. He's saying God is not like that. In fact, he says, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find, knock, and it'll be open to you. Now, I know that those three words, ask, seek, and find, I'm, I'm, I'm not foolish enough to not understand that the verb tense that was used in the Greek language from which these English words were translated is a, a verb tense that is progressive, meaning ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Yes, that's, that's the case. But it's not because we have a God who's not listening or a God who is not uh, willing to hear us when we pray. It's because he's saying, I want you to ask. Come to me. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. He's not saying, I've closed the door to you. In fact, just the opposite. Look at verse 10. For everyone, not some, not a select few, for everyone who seeks or asks, excuse me, receives. And then he goes on and talks about, look, if you guys who are sinners know how to give good gifts to your children, what am I, chopped liver? If you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly Father give 
give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I'll come back to that in a little bit. But I want to just uh, talk about three or four things before we land there on that final verse, verse 13, and then move on. First, I want you to see that when we come to the Lord requesting help or aid, we come to one who is not behind a closed door. Now, we have an, an adversary, an enemy, who wants for us to think so. And much of our, our imaginings about God are shaped by this lie that somehow there's this thing we have to penetrate, this, this uh, barrier between me and God that I have to somehow get through to get his attention. Maybe it means I need to lift my voice. Maybe it means I need to use religious words. Maybe it means I need to, you know, quote the Bible. Maybe it, I don't know, but somehow I've got to break through this barrier. Can I tell you that barrier does not exist we don't have a God who's behind a closed door. You don't have to kind of work out, well, what key will unlock this thing? How can I arrange the tumblers just so, so that I can get through to God? The Bible says, if there is a door, it's on my side of things. Revelation 3.20 says, Jesus said this, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come into him and sup with him and he with me. If there is some barrier, it's not on God's side, it's on mine. We do not have a God behind a closed door. When we come to God requesting aid or help, we also come to one who is not requiring persuasion. If you're a parent, you've had this happen to you. Uh, my kids, when they were little, they'd come to me, or younger anyway, they'd come to me and say, Dad, now I know you're going to say no, but just wait a minute. Let me tell you why you should say yes. Yeah? You've, you're laughing because you know, right? We tend to think that God's like that, that I somehow need to convince him of why he ought to do what I'm asking and why it's so sensible and reasonable. I mean, on the face of it, it sounds silly, but we do that, don't we? Think about how much labor we engage in to try to persuade God. We, try, we, we think we need to inform him. You know, God, did you not know that my, my Aunt Josephine has cancer? Did you somehow forget or miss that? Let me tell you, she's suffering. Can you please help her? That we have to sort of uh, not only inform him, but motivate him. Look, we... we Matthew 6, 8, we read it when we were talking about the, the Lord's Prayer. He said, in, when he was extending the invitation to pray, he said, I already know what you need before you ask. The only way that's possible if God, is if God knows what I need before I know I need it, because if I knew I need it, I'd be asking. Right? A God who loves me that much to know what I need before I even know what I need is a God who's already in motion to meet my needs and the needs of those that I love and care about too. He doesn't need to be persuaded. We also, when we come to the Lord making requests for help or aid, we come to one who is not wearied by requests 
sometimes we get the idea that there's some sort of quota and I've reached it. You know, I've, I've asked the Lord too many times. You know, I better lay off this week with my requests because I had so many last week. <laughs> you know what I mean? We do these, we have these twisted ideas about things that come from our adversary who's a liar. We, Jesus said right here, plain as day, ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. We are not going to exhaust God's patience. There is no request too small or insignificant. Nothing too hard for him. Nothing immaterial to him. Ask and keep on asking because everyone who asks receives. That's what he said. That's what he said right there. When we come to the Lord seeking help or aid, we also come to one who is not to be feared. Not to be feared. So he says here, he says, if a son, if your son, Alan, if your son comes to you and asks you for bread, are you going to give him a rock? No. You're going to give him bread. But we have this, another one of these twisted notions that somehow God cannot be trusted to give us what we need. And so we don't even come to him with the request in the first place. Sue and I got married when we were just turned 19. So prior to that, I went to her, her dad, who is now my father-in-law, to ask him for permission to marry her. I said, I said Pat, could I uh, marry your daughter? And he says, no. <laughs> and I was like, what? Come on. I mean, I, 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 here's what I expected. I expected him to say, oh, yes, I've been waiting for you to ask. I am so grateful that you're in my daughter's life. I can't imagine anyone else that she would be better with. And, of course, that's not what he said. I, and I'm stumbling around in my confusion. I said, well, why not? And he says, well, because you go to Bible college and you're planning to be a minister and I don't know if that may mean that you'll be living in a grass hut someplace without shoes, and I want my daughter to be married to an orthodontist. That's what he said, <laughs> word for word. <laughs> now the point... <laughs> he had a point, though. <laughs> I did not have a guarantee that the path that I was on with the Lord wouldn't mean that we'd live in a grass hut somewhere with no shoes on our feet. I, I didn't have that guarantee. But the truth is, I could trust God with that. Now, I, yeah, I was only 18, but... <laughs> but the, I could trust God with the outcome because if I ask for bread, he's not going to give me a stone. Now, my father-in-law in those days was not able to make that same trust or have that same trust in God. And a lot of us here uh, struggle, know what that's like, to not be quite so sure that God has the same way of seeing this thing as I do. But the Bible says we can cast our care on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. 
you ask for bread, you can trust him with the outcome. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to withhold your requests. Now then we come to verse 13. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I, you know, when I read this, those last words, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, seem, those words seem out of context. Who's talking about the Holy Spirit here? All of a sudden, we're talking about the Holy, how did that, how, you know, it's a little confusing, a little um, jarring when you read it. I want to try to t explain to you why that's there. Now, I have used this verse, I don't know, hundreds of times. So has Sue, in fact, at the, at the uh, Steps to Freedom conference this weekend, Kareen Kerrigan, I heard her quote this verse in the encounter room when she was teaching on the subject of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and receiving the fullness of the Spirit. She said, she quoted this verse. Appropriately, she quoted this verse. Ask, and the, and the Lord will give you the Holy Spirit. It's entirely appropriate in that context. But that's not really the context here. Why then does he say that? Because, dear ones, when we come to the Lord and request aid or help, we're coming to one who is himself the answer. He is the answer. You may think you need a job. You may think you need your rent money. You may think you need a husband or wife. You may think you need healing. God is not insensitive to any of that. He's already made that abundantly clear. But ultimately, what you really need is Him. Prayer is not about what we need, but the one we need. And He says, if you guys know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will I give myself to you? If you come and request aid from me. Now, when you're, look, when you're, you've, you're dealing with a, a terminal um, illness, and Jesus comes and says, yes, bring that need to me, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, doesn't sound like that's what you really need. The truth is, it is. He is what you need. Listen, if, if I don't have to fight for God's attention, he's not behind a closed door that I somehow have to break through. If I don't have to fight for God's attention, if I don't have to motivate him to care, I don't need to persuade him, I don't need to make a case, I don't need to inform him. If I don't have to worry about bothering him or somehow tapping out my prayer allowance, you know, and somehow I'm going to weary him with my requests, and if I can trust him with the outcomes when I bring him my need, if, if all of that is, is solid, secure, and, 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 um, and uh, I understand and, and have that settled, then what's left? The freedom to just receive more of him. 
I don't have to worry about the rest of that. Comes off the table and all that's left is me and him. It frees me. It frees me to simply desire more of his spirit. This is recording number 11187 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, November 15, 2015. This is the fourth and final message in a series titled, In This Manner. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, An Invocation.